outward. And, and so today we're going to be looking at John 10, 10. So I'm just going to say a prayer and we'll be going. God, thank you for this time together to be in your word. I, I pray that we can just, we can look through the, your scriptures, God, that we can see who you are and that that can have an impact on us. That that can have an impact on us on the heart level that moves us on, on an outward level, God. But that's what we want. We want this inward out, inside out transformation just by seeing you, knowing you, believing in you, understanding who you are. Yeah, it's so easy to know things about a person, but not really know a person. Yeah, so we don't want to just know things yeah. about you. We, we want to know you. And we don't want to just know things about Jesus. We want to know Jesus. And, and God, we, what, we, what we believe is that Jesus is the exact representation of you. He is you on earth. And so the more we understand Jesus, the more we know you. So just help us do that. I need your spirit to work in us to, to do this. Father, we thank you. We love you. We pray this your son's name. Amen. Amen. So today in John 10, we're going to be uh, trying to tackle two. We have two I am statements. I thought about maybe do we do we separate them? What, what do we do? But, but basically there's two statements. I am the door and I am the good shepherd. Okay, so what we're going to try to do here today is run through that. And it, it might, you know, we're kind of tackling two different questions. What does Jesus mean by he's the door? And what does he mean by he is the good shepherd? We're going to kind of answer those two questions. It might seem like a lot of information, but just what I want you to do is keep one thing in mind as we walk through this. And I just want you to think about what do you follow? Who do you follow in life? What dictates where you go, what you do, why you do it? And everything we talk about when we look at the door, we look at the shepherd, it's all going to kind of be related to that one concept. Okay, so kind of use that as your anchor point as we walk through this today. So we're going to start off in John 10, starting at verse 1. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what uh, what he was saying to them. Okay, so here is the here's the parable, here's the teaching, and he's saying uh, he's saying this to a group, a specific group of people, right? This them, they didn't understand it. So I, I think to under to unpack this a little bit, be able to get a little bit deeper what he's trying to do here, I, I think it's important that we understand who, who he's saying this to. Alright, so I'm just gonna summarize that briefly. Alright, so basically in chapter nine, uh, Jesus heals a blind man. All right, you might have heard the story. He, uh, he he comes across the blind man, uh, gets the mud, rubs it on his eyes, says, go wash it in, in that pool over there, and you're going to be able to see. So the blind man does that. He has no idea that this is Jesus talking to him. He just knows persons come up to him and say, hey, I'm going I'm to help you see. All right, so the blind man does it, goes and washes in the pool. He can see. Now, word about this gets around, okay? And, and the people that know him, like his neighbors, the people around him, they're like, man, aren't you, aren't you the blind guy? How do you? How are you seeing? What's going on here? And he's like, yeah, man, this guy came to me. I just did the thing. It happened. And they're like, but what? You know, so they took him and brought him before the Pharisees. They're like, man, you answer. You, man, you figure out what's going on here, Pharisees, because this is crazy. Man's being healed. You know, blind man can see. This is crazy stuff, right? Pharisees, you sort it out. So Pharisees put the the once blind man on trials. They're like, man, who did this to you? And he's like, I, I don't know. And he's like, well, this man's a sinner. Give glory to God. And so the the, the blind man's like, you know, the guy that was blind, he's like. Look, I don't know if he was a sinner. All I know is I, I was blind, and, and now I see. Right? That's the famous line. You probably heard that, right? Amazing. I'm blind, now I see. So he says that, and they're like, we don't believe you, so they bring his parents in on him. 
Like, we don't believe you. Parents, is this your son? Like, that, that's our kid. I don't know how we see him, but that's him. And, and what happens is they're actually afraid of the Pharisees because if you, if you miss that, you can get kicked out of the synagogue. You can get kicked out of your religious community, right? And so they're like, you know what? Don't, don't, he's of age. We don't want any part of this. You ask him. Okay, so they go back to him and they're like, man. And so all, all this goes down. Blind man gets kicked out of the synagogue, right? So Jesus comes along and he finds him. He's like, what's going on? They're like, man, they, they kicked me out. So all this. He's like, do you believe in the Son of Man? He's like, I, I, I think so. I pretty, you know, something happened to me. He's, he's like, who is the Son of Man? He's like, Jesus says to him, it's me. I'm the Son of Man. Yeah. And this, you know, blind man, he goes, since I forget, it's a really cool story. But some Pharisees overhear that. And they're like, so Jesus says the same. He's like, man, I, I came to give sight to the blind. And those who are blind, I'm going to show that they can't see. They're actually blind. Or those who can see, they're actually blind. They don't know what's going on. And so some Pharisees over here, they're like, you talking about us? Jesus is like, yes. Yeah, I'm talking about you. You guys are blind. You think you can see, but you're blind. Okay, so then he goes into this whole thing in John chapter 10. So it's a follow-up to that. And so he's addressing the Pharisees. What are you saying? So I think that adds a little bit more just like depth to what's going on here. Okay? So it's to the Pharisees. He's saying, look, in, there's a shepherd, there's a pen, and there's robbers, all right? Guess which one you are. You're not, you're not in the flock. Like, this is like an indictment to the Pharisees. This is kind of an intense thing he's saying to them. So, so let's watch as he kind of builds this out a little bit more in, in verse 7. Because they didn't understand it. So verse 7. So Jesus again said to them. So again, them is the Pharisees and this blind man. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, it's the first thing. I am the door. So I just want to break down what he's trying to communicate here when he says, I am the door. I think a few different things. When he says, I am the door, one, he's setting up, there's this dichotomy between him and, and then robbers, thieves and robbers, okay? So there's a force actively working for the good of the people of God. There's a force actively working to harm the, the people of God. Okay? He's setting up a dichotomy there, two different things. He's saying, okay, another thing by being the door is that if you come through me, you're going to have life. Because here's the thing is, is shepherds would take their sheep out of the fields. Right, because this was, a, you know, you, you didn't have to be a nomad to be a shepherd. You could be based in a farm, but you would take your sheep out to pasture to feed. So it's kind of like a traveling thing. Mm -hmm. And so what you do is you take your sheep out of the farm. So out of the protection of, of the farm, you take them out into the fields or mountains or wherever you're going. Shepherds would like live with their sheep. It's really interesting looking at it. They would like live with their sheep, and they would build a temporary shelter around them with like thorny bushes. They would like surround their sheep with protection. Okay, so he's saying, look, man, I, I am the door. I'm the way inside of this fence, of this gate, of, of the sheep. I'm the way in. If you don't come in through me, man, you're a thief and you're a robber. So, so here's what's going on in context. He's saying, look, there's this blind man that's listening to me. He, I, I, he can see. You think he's blind, but he can see. You guys, you think you can see. Man, you're not, you're not hearing me. You're not seeing me. You're not getting this. You're not coming through the door. You are not in the pen. You are not part of the flock. You're outside of it. You're thieves and you're robbers trying to harm my flock. It's like crazy, right? 
So he's this is huge indictment on, on the Pharisees at the time. Man, you, you think you see what's going on, but you don't. You think you're, you've gone through the door, but you haven't. Okay? Mm. So we should just like listen to that and think, okay, have, am I entering the pen through the door? Mm. Because here's the thing. I, I think we can kind of flirt around the edge of the pen, right? I think we can be in, you know, around the pen, but not in the pen with the sheep, right? Because I think these Pharisees would have thought, well, yeah, man, we're in the pen. But Jesus is saying, no, you're actually on the outside. So we should consider, okay, have I, have I walked through the door into the pit? Right? So that's a lot of like language we're saying. Is, have, have I entered into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. So I haven't. I'm not cheap for I'm not in. I don't have the protection. I'm not in there. There's this thing that I'm on the outside of. So it takes some honest questioning. Okay, have I gone through the door? Mm-hmm. Say, okay, look, if you go through the door, here is what's at stake. These robbers out there trying to, try to steal, kill, destroy, I, I came to give you a life to the full. So let's talk about that part of Jesus speaking the Lord, that he came to bring life to the full. So life abundantly is what my translation is using. Here's what I like about that word abundantly. If you're reading it up, here's something to the full. That, that word in the Greek there means like extraordinary, like beyond the normal amount. Like literally, what, what is ordinary? Extra to that. That, that's what that word means. Really cool. She's saying, I, I came not just to give you life, but, but life beyond what you think can happen. Life beyond what you think is ordinary, I can give you, I can give you that. Beyond what is ordinary. And so what, Jesus wants to give us a life to the full. And I think this is really good to kind of to me, this is one of those verses that this like helps anchor my relationship with, with God. Amen. Because look, following God, sometimes we can look at God as the robber, as the bad guy, right? He's got all these things he wants me to do, and that's gonna take that's gonna take my life away from me. I've got to follow him. I've got to, you know, not do these sins, and I've got to do these things. And we just start looking at the Bible as like this to-do list and trying to take away life from me. But he's saying, no, man, what I'm giving you, I'm actually coming to give you a life to the full. My commands that I give you is for the, your greatest good, absolute greatest good and greatest life, beyond what you think you can have. So look, man, I just think if we can be in that spot where we're thinking, man, following God is just really sapping life away from you. You're looking at life wrong. Mm-hmm. You're just looking at life wrong. Yeah. You're trying to get it in a different place. It's not really full life. Mm-hmm. You're not viewing the Bible right. If it's just like a list of things that, mm-hmm. you know, like get in line, you know, keep in line. If that's how we're looking at the Bible's relationship to us, I mean, yeah, there's explicit things that we need to do and command in the Bible. And there's explicit things in the Bible that are like, we do not do those things. That is accurate. But I think rather a more helpful way to look at Scripture is God trying to show us how, he's trying to give us an invitation into a life in the full. He's like, hey, look, I designed life, I designed you. I know how this works. Walk this way to this door, and I'm going to give you truth. This is what you really designed for. Sure, I think there's just some things we've got, we got to grapple with in our head. All right? Okay. So you came to give us life and life abundantly. And then, okay, that, that third thing, we enter by him. That's a quality of him being good. We enter this through him. All right? I, I talked about that a little bit already. I kind of jumped around. But, but well, I think here's a helpful way to look at this. When I say, hey, look, you got to realize there's an in and out when it comes to the kingdom of God. There's an in and out when it comes to the pit. All right? That's good. We need to know that. But what that shouldn't do in us is create kind of like this self-righteous, like, okay, man, look how much better I am than others. Right? What it shouldn't do is that. That's not what following God or being in the pit is about. Look at me. I'm in the pit. 
what, what that looks like to, to follow God into that pit is to not to lift yourself up into a level of self-righteousness for other people that are not in the pit, but what it should do, man, what that should look like is just this humble, unbelievably grateful reality that God wants us in the pit. And we respond out of gratitude and humility that we don't deserve to be in the pit, but he wants us in the pit. It's like, man, it should be a humble, like, self-sacrificial, all right, God, whatever you say, whatever you want, I'm going to follow you through this door. I'm going I'm to follow you down this path follow you into it. So not a self-righteousness, yeah. but, but more of a, God, thank you. Because I don't deserve this. I can't get this value. I'm just going to trust you and follow you. It's more of a humble laying down commitment of your life to God. That's what that is. So, okay, Jesus is the door, okay? So it's through him that we have true life and, and life abundantly. So let's talk about Jesus being the good shepherd. So moving down into verse 11. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, she sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I have laid down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay my life down and take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have, this charge I have received from my father. So a, a few different things I'm seeing here when God said, when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd because he lays down his life for his sheep. He is a good shepherd because his sheep know his voice, and, and he knows his sheep. He's a good shepherd because he uh, lays his life down willingly. All right, No one's making him do it, but willingly. So let's just real briefly talk about those three components. So one, he's a good shepherd because he lays down his life for his sheep. So a pretty normal part of the shepherd's job would be to like like to protect the flock. So if you're going out into pasture, you know they're feeding, and you would be in charge of protecting them from like predators, right? Like, well, I mean, we know this from what we see how David protected his flock. David like fought off like bears and all kinds of things. Like the shepherd would protect his flock. So Jesus lays down his life to protect his flock. So like, yes, in the sense that he that he dies on the cross. But we're going to talk a little bit more about that coming in that third part. But but just like, look, the, the, the idea that Jesus came to earth and relation with us is incredible. It's incredible. That Jesus willingly was like, I'm, the, I'm in heaven with God, but I love you so much. I'm going to come down so I can be with you personally, physically. Man, if I was in heaven, I don't know that I'd want to leave, right? Sometimes like, man, I can't, I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm ready for that. Jesus was like, I will willingly leave heaven to come to you. To come down to the earth, to be hated, to be laughed at, to be killed. I am come giving you my life. Not just in the sense that he actually died, but there's a broader sense that he, he man, he gave himself for us to serve us. That's a really interesting scripture, Matthew Matthew 20, 20, and she's like, man, uh, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That's yeah, a really interesting reality to grapple with, right? But something I, I love about that, and this is in John 1, where he's talking about why he came down to earth. This is, man, I came down to earth 
so that I can give those, I give people a chance to become children of God. Children not born of human descent or a husband's will, but born of God. And Jesus says, I came down here so that you built this family together. He is giving of himself just to be on earth, to, 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 you know, give us a chance to be part of his family. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, number two, that he, that he knows his own and his own know him. All right. This is a pretty well documented thing about being a shepherd. That your sheep actually recognize your voice. And so as you're trying to lead your sheep somewhere, you, you call, like, there can be somebody else that calls your sheep and they're right next to you. They, they won't come. But they know your voice. So if you call your sheep, they'll, they'll actually come. This is, pretty, this, this is like a thing. Have a sheep learn to recognize their shepherd's voice. And so this is what's huge, right? I think for us, I think the huge question we got to ask is, okay, do we know Jesus' voice? Do we listen for Jesus? Why? Because Jesus wants to lead us, all right? And you're not going to be led by Jesus if you're not listening to his voice. If you're listening to your own voice or the voice of other shepherds, because there are, yeah, there's thieves and robbers, like you're listening to these, these robbers, you're listening to Jesus. I, I don't know how many more creative ways I'm going to have to find out to say, read your Bible. Like, I don't because I know it comes up like every week, right? Because, man, we need to be listening to Jesus' voice. We've got to know the sound of God's voice. Amen. Because you will be led by something. Yeah. Whether you want to or not, whether you think you are or not, you're being led by something in life. Something or somebody is leading you. Probably yourself, more likely some other things, are in your life wanting to lead you. We know the sound of our shepherd's voice so we can follow him. And be familiar with it. And then over time, you learn to kind of pick out, oh, I don't actually think that's the, my shepherd's voice. It kind of sounds like it. You know the shepherd's voice. I, I want to read, I mean, guys, come on, we got to read Psalm 23. Go there with me. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Here's, to me, one of the most sobering scriptures when it comes to the relationship uh, God wants to have with it. It's one of the most sobering scriptures. Psalm 23. Start in verse one. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So, just I just want to spend a little bit of time here, guys, because I love this so much. I think there's a lot of it. We can't do it all, but I want to do a little bit of it. One, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's incredible. That if you're following God and you're listening to the sound of his voice, that this life to the full promise is in there. Like you, sh you will not want if you are genuinely satisfied in a relationship with God. You will not want. Like you are good. You're set. All right? This was tested to the extreme with Job, wasn't it? Like literally everything was taken from him. He's like, you know what? I'm realizing this is incredibly challenging, but God is all I need. So here's, here's the promise going on there when, when it's like, okay, you shall not want. This is not saying that everything in life is going to go the way you want it to go. Because you're not going to be led where you, you want to be led. You're going to be led where God wants to lead you. So, but here's the, here is the promise in that. Even though life is not what you want, that, you know, regardless of the circumstance, Jesus will be enough for you in that circumstance. So the question we got to ask is, do I really believe that? Amen. Do I really think Jesus is enough for me in my life? Or, or does a little bit of me think, no, I need Jesus plus this. I'm going to be good. If we're just going to really break down and be honest with ourselves. I'm trying to be pretty open about this, but there's some stuff that's really tugging on my heart to like make me happy in life right now. It's, it's hard in, in my stage to, to look at the, you know, I, 
You're married with one kid, hoping to have some more. We would like a home, okay? We'd like a, a place, I would like a domain, all right? That I could change it, that doesn't have wallpaper from the 70s on it, that we could just do something with it, right? Like, I would like to have a home. It's hard not to look at the housing market and just be like discouraged, right? It's like, ah, what am I gonna do? And so, but slowly what that does is just like this, these like seeds grow in my heart that, man, man, if you stay here, you're not really gonna be happy in this home. You can't be happy in this home. You can't be happy where you're at. These little seeds start being sown in me, right? And just, and it's uncomfortable. Like, it, 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 I didn't even realize until I was having an, a, a, an app, like a, a verbal conversation or something. Like, it was also just stuck in my head. And somebody asked me, like, hey, man, you know, what, you guys to buy a house or something? And I was just like, ugh, please. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, wait, where did that come from? Like, where, you know, did that just come out of me? Right? And so it's like, okay, it takes doing a little bit of honest soul level work mm-hmm. to figure out if you've really got some seeds planted in there. It's like, okay, Jesus plus this and all that. Because for me, it's like, Jesus plus a nice home. It's just not true. Mm-hmm. That's just not true. Yeah. These seeds get sown in me. I believe it's true. The soul level work, if you just figure out what that is, because what's happening there is that seed that's growing in you that you think is going to be some kind of real life, what's going on there is that seed is actually sapping life. That's just the crazy thing about there being thieves and robbers, about there being a good shepherd. As much as there is the good shepherd looking out for your best interests, there's also forces and things in the world that are looking, that are, that are out to get you. They're out to harm you. Like that's that's one of the most uncomfortable realities of this scripture, or of John 10. Is not only is there a good shepherd after me, there's also thieves and robbers after me. Yep. Mm-hmm. Things actively working to steal life from me. Things actively looking to take me out of the pen and in somewhere else, whether for their own pen or to be sold off. Like there's things actively working against you in life. This is like an uncomfortable reality, but it's like helpful, it's sobering, because then I can be like, okay, if I really believe that's true, and I'm seeing this in the scripture, that, that helps me pursue the, the, shepherd, the good shepherd's voice. Mm-hmm. Learn the list of the good shepherd. Okay, that was just one line out of this. That's why we're not doing the whole thing. Come on, bro. Let me do uh, verse, uh, we only got in verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Okay, we get it. Shepherd leads the sheep out so they can be fed, they can eat places, they eat there, and then they got to be led to another green pasture because if they just stay there, they'll like die. It's kind of interesting, right? But so they get moved into another green pasture. But but here's here's to me. So we talked about pastures in life. Okay, good, good. But here's what really gets me about verse two. He makes me lie down. How about that one? You ever think about your dynamic with God? And you're just like, yeah, God makes me do these things, right? Like, I'm feeling God in my life, like, you got to do this, man. Like, okay, look, we have to be willing to be made to do things by God. We've got to be willing to be led by God. Some of you, you probably heard this one. This is a pretty popular fact. But, like, if a sheep doesn't move, a shepherd will what? Somebody knows it. Break his legs. He's going to break his legs. Isn't that crazy? shepherd will break the legs of the sheep so that he can carry it because the sheep's not moving. It's going to die where it's at. So he's like, man, you don't want to go to that pasture? I will make you go to that pasture. Ah, right? So then he picks up his sheep, like, carries it. Oh, right, there's a kid. Carries the sheep to the green pasture, makes him lie down in the green pasture. Look, sometimes, maybe you've been in a circumstance like this, I know I have, where you're like, okay, you're being stubborn. And God's like, I'm going I'm to break your legs. Now, now let's, let's just see, okay, we want to do the best we can to follow God and not have our legs be broken. Amen? Like, but if he has to, he's going to make you lie down in the green pastures. And this is, like, you could go off on this. You could talk about what it really means to be made to lie down by God. Right? Because we're not just talking about, you know, like, look, I mean, again, me and Cody having a very good conversation. We were talking about the, the importance of God letting us go through hard things. Mm-hmm. To refine us, to work on us, get him to trust it, 
more, like there's importance to being put through trials. Like God will do that, but it's actually a mercy of God to do that. It's actually a mercy of God to put you through a trial. I don't know if you've ever thought of it like a mercy before. But Romans 1 is pretty clear. God's like, you know what, with some, here's some people, I just give them over their sin. And I'm done. They don't want me. They've made that clear. I'm giving them over to sin. It's actually a mercy when God is disciplining, disciplining you in your life. He's trying to say, look, man, I don't want you to go there. Follow me instead. Come with me. I'm just come here. I'm going to carry you. If I have to, I'll carry you where you need to go. So God's working on you in your life. I mean, that's the mercy. It's an amazing thing that he wants to do that. Okay, one last thing. I'm going to skip down to the very, very last line of this verse. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Okay, the first time, look, here's one for me that is really difficult to grapple with. God is doing this for his name, not your name. Now, this is a reality. You can see this painting throughout Scripture. It's really, really clear. That God's ultimate plan, that his ultimate purpose behind things is for his own glory. For, for the sake of his name and not yours. First time I heard this, I was like, that's like speaking to a sigil. It's really weird that God would act that way. And then I just had somebody pose a question to me. They're like, Dan, well, who do you think deserves the glory? Then? You? I'm like, oh. <laughs> and my heart was like, yeah, a little bit. No, no, no. But it's, you know, okay, at the end of the day, who? God, God, you know, God doesn't get glory to do. Nobody else deserves the glory. At the end of the day, God is about his name and his glory, not about yours. That can be kind of a weird thing to wrestle. He's like, oh, God love you. He does love you. He's after his glory. Like, God does love you, and he does want good in your life. But ultimately, he wants his name to be the one that's popular, his name to be the one that's glorified, not ours. And so if we're going to be led by God, we need to be okay that my life is not about my glory. My life is about bringing glory to God. If I'm going to follow God, I need to be okay that I'm down here, God's up here, and my life is for him, not me. Because here's the thing, if you're like trying to follow God, but you're not really about his glory, you're about yours, there's going to be something a little bit off there. Right? There's going to be something a little bit off. Okay, so we, all right, we'll stop at that scripture. Let's, let's go back to John 10. We'll finish this out. So he's the good shepherd because he gives his life for us to be our servant, which is a crazy thing to think about. He's a good shepherd because he knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. And he's a good shepherd because uh, he lays down his life willingly. So let's talk about this third one. We're, we're going to close out on this. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. All right, so if we want to talk about Jesus laying his life down, here's a key thing we've got to get about that because there's this idea that's floating around in some circles of Christianity right now that, that God would make Jesus come down to earth and die for us is a horrible abuse. That why would God make Jesus do that if he really loved Jesus? Why would he make Jesus die? Okay, so here's something really important we've got to know about Jesus laying his life down. He said, I'm going to do it. Nobody's making Jesus die. 
He says, I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to pick it up. I'm doing this because my father asked me, but man, it's, I've got the authority here. Does that make sense? Yes. Right? So Jesus wasn't like, it wasn't like things were going bad in the Bible. And God was like, you know, this whole Israelite thing isn't working out. Jesus, can we send you down in like paratrooper style? You're going to go die. He's like, oh, yes. No, no. The, the plan from the beginning was for Jesus to die. Right? Uh, we got to do this. We're gonna, I'm just going to read it for you. It's Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. You can't turn there if you want. You got to be quick, though, because I'm diving in. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So we got to stop there because a few major things are happening in this scripture. One, this is the plan since day one. Since the foundation of the world, we are predestined to become sons of God through Christ. That plan was set from the beginning. What no plan B? Because plan A always was the plan. It was for us to be reconciled to God through Jesus. That was always the plan. Two, man, it's just like, guys, you've got to hear this. That uh, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ right here in, in accordance with his, what? Pleasure and will. So Jesus and God are one. They're the same mind. They're on the same page here. We're talking about Jesus and God. I really do think that right now. We're on the same page. That, that, that God and Jesus did this out of their pleasure and will. So why does he come down and die for us? Not because somebody is making him do this and forcing him down to the ground and forcing him onto the cross. But they are doing, God and Jesus are doing this because it pleases him. Verse pleasure. It pleases him to do this. And his will. He wanted to. So God comes down because it pleases him and he wanted to do it. Nobody's forcing him down. This isn't the, the term is cosmic child abuse. There's no cosmic child abuse going on here. Jesus willingly lays his life down for you. It's really easy to just kind of, you know, theologize and rationalize this away and be like, well, God, I know Jesus dies for our sins. No, no, no. Jesus died for your sins. Personally, you. Jesus died for you. Why? Because it pleases him he wanted to. So, Jesus is the good shepherd because he lays his life down, because he knows his sheep and the sheep know his voice, because he lays his life down for his own glory. So, just briefly, let's talk about some responses to this. All right, we're going to close out. I want to talk about some responses to our our heart directing of this because we we just learned a lot about Jesus. We just learned he is the, the door to true life, to life beyond the ordinary. Extraordinary abundantly. He, and he's the only door, right? I think that's something we, I didn't even go into that. There's several doors, but there's really only one true door Jesus. And he's the good shepherd because of how he leads us and loves us and dies for us. And so we we, we got to take that information and ask, okay, how's that? What do I do with that? I think, well, one, I think you have to ask that. What, how am I responding to this? How does knowing Jesus is the door to true life? have any bearing or effect on my life and what I do. you got to ask yourself that question, right? I mean, the second one is, of course, just the same, but for the Good Shepherd. How does knowing that Jesus is the Good Shepherd, how does that affect me? How, how, maybe how do I want that to affect me, but my heart's not there, or whatever. You ask yourself these questions. 
ultimately, how do we respond to this? What do we do? Well, I think on the heart level, there's kind of two extremes that we can go. So I'm going to paint the two extremes, then I'm going to paint the middle, and that'll be that. So I, I think one extreme is that we can hear that and be like, if you're really honest with yourself, I mean, you might say you're good right here today on a Sunday, but check like check on like a Tuesday morning or a Thursday night to see where you're at. If you're really honest with yourself, you might think, no way, not me. No way. Other people, sure, but God didn't really love me. He didn't really want to do this for me. Right? And that's one direction you can go with it. And that's the whole thing. I think the other direction is, is the opposite extreme. You'd be like, well, yeah. I grew up in church my whole life. I know that I heard it. Obviously, that's true because I'm not those people. Right? I grew up in here's my life. I'm not those people that are outside of the whatever, outside of the church, outside of the whatever. It's like, okay, we can go to this self righteous. Well, yeah, obviously. Or this insecure man, no way, Johnny. And so, so rather what I try to do is just, just pull that in together, pull that into the middle and respond with a gratitude and a humility. Yeah, like if you look at us and you look at God, God really, it's not like, yeah, we don't deserve to be loved by him. We don't. So here's the really cool thing about that thought. It, it's true. That's crazy. It's actually true that we don't deserve to be loved by God. But God takes that reality, and Satan wants to use it as ammunition against you to beat you down. God wants to take that ammunition of Satan and be like, yeah, but I love you anyway. Isn't that amazing? Like, I love you. You're right. You don't deserve it, but I do anyway because I love you. And so when we grapple with that reality, man, that should move us just into that gratitude, humble, willing submission, that thing I love talking about, being compelled by his love. That's what that is. Mm. So get it. It's I don't deserve this because he loves me anyway. So that pulls us out of that insecurity. It doesn't make it all about us, right? Because we don't fly in the self-righteous spectrum, but it does pull us out of that insecurity. Okay, so then, then the way to come back from that other extreme is responding with humility. It's like, look, man, God don't need you. Right? It's like sometimes, like, man, it's a good thing God got me. Like, now that I'm on his team, what are we going to do with the team, right? It's like, God doesn't need you. He said, I can make the stones cry out here, whatever. Right? I don't need you, but, but I love you and want you. Right? So that pulls us out of that. Like, it, it's really easy to compare ourselves, maybe, I don't know, people in life, like, well, I'm not them, so I'm doing pretty good. It's like, no, we all have sin. We all fall short of glory now. We need to. Anyway, so then we pull back from that extreme. So we respond with a, a grateful humility. Mm. Grateful humility. So, so hopefully we can find that place and start looking at Jesus as the way to life. And the only way we're getting through that door, the only way we're getting that life is we're going to be listening to his voice and, and following him faithfully, humbly, willingly for his glory, not our glory. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the good shepherd. Let's pray. God, thank you for these beautiful realities. And God, I think what I love between looking at, at this and, and looking at what we did a couple weeks ago about Jesus being the light. And you, with the light, you have this like really big picture idea. We talk about like astrophysics, and we talk about like color theory. And, and here, Jesus is just like, man, I'm, I'm like, I'm a shepherd. You guys know shepherds. I'm the gate into the pen. You guys know what gates are like. like. So he just like speaks to us on these different levels, these really high, big picture levels, but also these really uh, just down to earth, grounded levels too. God, I pray we just listen to this, that we can consider what. What does this mean for me? How does this change how I feel, what I do, or how should it? Maybe I don't want it to, whatever, that we grapple with that question in regards to Jesus being the door. What does it mean for my life that Jesus is going to be the door into true, abundant, extraordinary life? God, and help us just figure out what it means for us if, man, if we're going to, if Jesus is the good shepherd, 
he laid down his life for us. He did it willingly. God, he wants to lead us. Help us to consider, man, okay, am I being led? Am I willing to do all this stuff? What does this mean for our life? God, help us to do this ultimately. God, I've got no delusion that like one Sunday sermon is just going to totally transform my life, everybody's life. But God, what, what this does do slowly over time is we grapple with reality of who you are. And slowly over time, this transformation occurs. You have become more and more like your son. Amen. So help us with that slow and steady transformation. Hey, God, look, if there is something that's happening here today in somebody's heart where it's a boom, big, huge transformation, that's amazing too. That can happen too. But just help us to be good with the slow and steady transformation that often life is. But help us. We love you. We need you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you, guys. Um, there's a lot of elements to being a follower of, of Christ. Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, for me, I made the decision in 2019, like I said, I was, I was raised in this Lutheran church, um, but in 2019, I, I really got um, to, I kind of fell away from church in my 20s, and then uh, um, in 2019, I came to this church and started studying the Bible with some people, and, um, you know, it's kind of cut to the heart, and I, I read some scriptures, and it really, you know, Daniel just said a phrase that I like, which is this crash, which is grappling with the reality of who God is. And I feel like that's what I had to do. I felt like once I grappled with reality who God was, that's when I really felt like I was baptized and, and became a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one scripture that I always read, so I, I've just got, you know, I'm not a anything, but i got a couple scriptures to share that kind of helped me to think about, okay, if I'm a real disciple, what do I, what's, what's my heart trying to, to let me know about that? Um, one of my favorite scriptures, see I got it on here, is uh, Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40. And for those of you who've ever heard Kelly Boyd give a sermon, you know, this is in like every sermon. It's, it's a good one. It's a teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? So Matthew 22, 36 to 40. That disciple asked Jesus, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Mm. Um, and the reason why, as I've kind of walked in my Christian walk, you know, I've had to grapple with reality of who God is. I've had to really think about, I've struggled with things. I've got sin in my life that I have to deal with. Um, sometimes I'm not sure if I'm actually walking with God. And to me, you know, this verse really sums it up for me. I think there's a lot of other ways, a lot of other verses used to describe who a disciple is, but this verse, you know, it really says that loving God is number one. I mean, Jesus made it abundantly clear. He didn't leave any doubt. He said, this is the greatest commandment. you got to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, I think that's why Kelly Boyd, if you ever heard him give a sermon, he will get this verse into most of his messages. Um, and uh, um, I, like, I like the part where it says that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So like the whole Bible could be, you know, it's all comes, it all boils, it's basically it's saying the Bible boils down to this yeah. um, commandment. Um, and so when I, you know, as I, as I look through life, I've tried, you know, one, one sin that I really deal with is, is drinking and then trying not to run into that as my, my place of, of refuge. And what I what this verse tells me, um, just as an example, is like when I'm when I'm wondering if I'm walking that Christian walk, if I'm being a disciple, I always look at this verse because um, I find that when I'm loving God, when I make God first, that's the motivation I need to get through sin in my life and walk or walk on that. So along with that verse, there's two others I really like to share, and these were these were like kind of like my key verses when I made the decision to get baptized. Kind of these two verses, like the ones that I said. Um, Luke 9, 23, it says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. And the other one that goes with that is Luke 14, 23-27. If anyone, wants to, if anyone comes to me and does not hate me, father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, that's even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. These three verses are really key for me. This verse I'm asking is two from Luke. The two from Luke I see, you know, when we talk about loving God by like, heart, soul, mind, and strength, I feel like those verses from Luke are because 
the verses in Luke really describe what it's going to take. It's going to take denying yourself, which is interesting to say. I mean, that's something I think about uh, early on when I became a Christian, you know, learning to not rely on alcohol to, to alleviate the, the woes in life. I had to deny myself what I myself wanted. Um, and so I was like, kind of, um, you know, think about that conversation with my dad, and I think about the cross as we take communion, and I think about these verses and how, you know, if you want to know if you're on that Christian walk, are you loving God by your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And are you, you know, are you willing to deny yourself, deny everything about you um, to, to follow God? Um, it's interesting that, so I mean, to close out with, it's interesting that Daniel led with uh, John 10 today, excited that as well. John 10, verse 10. John 10, verse 10, you know, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it full. And that's the last verse that I'll leave with, is that, you know, if you're if you're wondering, if you're walking that Christian walk, if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, I feel like we, we talk about the commitment that it takes to become a Christian. We don't also remember, like Daniel talked about today, that God came that we can have life to the fullest. God, you know, God loves us. You read the Bible, it's all true. But God loves us deeply. Send the Son to die for us. And this commitment seems scary sometimes, but at the end of the day, you know, God came so that we can have life to the fullest. Um, yeah. So as we pray and take communion, you know, I would just ask ask yourself, are you, do you feel like you're walking the true walk as a disciple? Um, or do you want to start?